back here. All right, so we are in, whew, we're cooking here. We're in Mark chapter 6. Um, we're not going to go back and do any more on the Herod story. I may mention it out of hand, but I think we covered everything that we need to cover for up to this point. So we're actually in chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 30, and we'll be going through to verse 43. But before we begin, let us beseech the Lord for our time together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much um, for the fact that spring has sprung, that you're reminding us again that the resurrection uh, is in fact true, that it's all around us, that we get to experience it again and again and again and again before that glorious day that we come out of the earth in your presence forever. We thank you, Lord God, for, for continually teaching us, continually walking beside us, continually showing us mercy and compassion, for convicting us and comforting us. We thank you, Lord God, because you are a good and faithful shepherd. And we pray, Lord, that as we open your word today, that you would teach us again anew and in deeper and more meaningful ways that you are, in fact, the good shepherd of Israel and that we are your sheep. We pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a mind to comprehend and hands that go out and work because of this glorious good news. The good news of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, and amen. amen. The account of the feeding of the multitude on the shores of Gennesaret, that's a word for you, possesses a particular significance in the framework of Mark's gospel. If you look at this story, it consists of an elaborate introduction, an extended dialogue between the disciples. I always love those. Those are always fodder for a lot of hilarity. As well as there are later references to this story. In this chapter, before the end of uh, chapter 6, he, Jesus goes back and, he, and, and they mention it. Then again, in chapter 8, verse 17 through 21, it comes up again. Don't you guys remember what I did with the 5,000? And this particular miracle is one of the only ones that has a sequel. In chapter 8, verse 1 through 10, he feeds 4,000. He does it again. So why is Mark, what is Mark trying to get across to us? That this story is, is crucial to understanding who Jesus is. Remember, just earlier in the chapter, what were they doing? They were arguing about who he is. Is he Elijah? Is he John resurrected? Is he the great prophet? This is, this is what Mark, the whole gospel is about. Who is this man and what does his ministry mean for you and for me? And, and, and Mark is, is in the text, it's like he's got big arrows, right? It's like later on he draws circles and he runs the line back to this story and draws even bigger circles. Remember, remember when he was there on the shore and he fed the 5,000. Much like the parable of the, of the seeds, the, of the hearers, that story is crucial to understanding all of his parables. This story is crucial to understand who Jesus is. Its place in Mark's gospel account is immediately after Herod's feast, and there's a purpose to that. It juxtaposes the carnal qualities of the Herodian court and the humility of Jesus Christ, satisfying the multitude with godly instruction and with a satisfying and yet simple meal. I don't know about you, but I mean, it's bread and fish. That's not that elaborate, right? But it's good. It's healthy, right? It, it involves, you know, most of the major food groups to the ones that I think are important anyway. 
I'm not going to make any kind of argument about the fact he doesn't give them vegetables. We're going to do that. But what do we have here? If you look at these two feasts, Herod invites only the prominent men. The entertainment is illicit sexual dancing. A murder takes place. While Jesus invites the multitude. He entertains them with the biblical instruction that, that he is known for. And he performs a miracle of life-giving food. Right? Could you have two different kings? Right? He's still comparing the two. Here is what the kings and the shepherds of Israel look like, men, and this is what God, the shepherd of Israel, looks like, the true king of Israel. And that's what this story is about. It's about, as, as comparing it before was two kings, this is now comparing two shepherds. So turn and look at, uh, at chapter 6, verse 30 and 31 with me for a moment. This is what it says. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So what you see is that, remember, the, he, he makes these sandwich stories. Jesus had sent out the 12, and then you've got Herod, and now you have the guys coming back again. So verse 30 is actually the conclusion to the previous two stories. And now what you have in verse um, 31 is the introduction now to the new story. He's transitioning here, but he's transitioning and keeping things very tight. It's, it, it appears to be the same day. They come back. They tell Jesus all about what's happened, and he says, okay, come with me out into the woods. Okay, we immediately see what the theme of this entire story is about. Right in the very first verse, come with me to the wilderness to rest. Come with me to the wilderness, and we will rest. They're tired. They've been out. They've been, they've been preaching from town to town. There's this giant crowd. They're so thick. They're so needy that they can't even let the disciples sit down and eat. And so Jesus says, okay, come with me into the wilderness, and we will rest. That is what the story is about. Today, this entire lesson is for you to hear these words, to hear Jesus say to you, come, come into the wilderness with me and we will rest. Right? And immediately, I, I, I think of two palm trees and a hammock. I think of those the drinks with the little umbrellas in them. Right? Immediately, you start thinking that. For you, I, it may look different, but this sounds nice. Wilderness? You mean like a beach in the Bahamas? <laughs> But we're going to see, even though he's saying, come with me into the wilderness and rest, it's not the kind of wilderness you think, and it's not the kind of rest that you think. He wants you to see who he is. Right? All of these people who are confused about who he is, at least one of the ideas is pretty close to home. We talked about it a little bit last week, but there is this promise of a greater prophet. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants to leave at this point no doubt. He wants to come out loud and clear about who he is. He's like, okay, disciples, I'm ready now. Things are getting dangerous. They're starting to put people to death. It's, you guys are already doing good work. So now what we need to do is we're going to up the ante. I'm really going to show you now who I am. And, and, and this entire story, it's like, it's like he goes back into the Old Testament and, and, and he gets out scissors and he starts cutting it up all these different stories and he starts gluing them all together. It's like everything here, every syllable of this, comes from somewhere in the Old Testament. But it's not just a story that Mark cut and pasted together. It's Jesus is living it out. He's parabolically living out the stories of the Old Testament. This is what it says in Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. God is speaking to Moses. 
I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. And so from this day forward, everybody is waiting for this greater prophet, the one who is greater than Moses. Because to this point, I don't know if you guys know any Jews, but when you hang out with them, it's Moses is the guy, right? Moses is the most important person, more important than David, more important than Isaiah. Moses is the man. Still to this day. And, and so what Jesus has to show them, if they're going to understand who he is at all, they have to understand he's greater than Moses. Moses gave them the first five books of the Bible. Moses was the extraordinary man who got to see God. God went before his very eyes. He went into a tent and met with him. He went onto the mountain and met with him. There is nobody greater than Moses. Jesus says, watch. Watch. There is someone greater than Moses. And you've been waiting a long time. And you're tired. And you're sheep without a shepherd. And, and I want you to understand who I am. He, he's pulling the veil back further than he has at any point in the story. Now, we've all been to Sunday school. Who is Moses' immediate successor? If you go back in the story, who is the one who takes over for Moses right away? There you go. Yeshua. Which is actually Jesus. Joshua and Jesus is the, same, it's the same name, and it means Savior. So, wait, okay, so he, he, is, he is the successor to Moses then. Oh, okay, so he's like a greater Joshua. <laughs> no. no, my sweet lads, no. He's not just a greater Joshua. He is, but he's more than that. The prophet promised would come and he would speak God's word. But Jesus is God's word. He is God's word. Jesus wants to show his disciples that he is the long-awaited and greater successor to Moses. He is the greater prophet. He is the greater Joshua. And his self-revelation now is going to go, in this story, he couldn't put it more clearly. He can't put it more clearly than this. He's teaching them through the types and the shadows, the promises and the stories of their fathers. They should recognize almost everything that he's doing here. But they don't. Why? Why don't they? They've read the books of Moses. They've read Isaiah. They've read about the kings. Why are they so hard-hearted and hard-minded to comprehend everything that Jesus is showing them? Because this is what I love. We're going to go through this, and you're going to be like, how did we not see it before? How did we not see it before? How did they not see it? Why? Why don't we see it? Why are we so hard to get the lesson? Why is it so hard for us to get the lesson? They are not the people of the word that they think they are. We are not the people of the word that we think we are. He's walking around and doing and and, and, and acting and living out the stories of the Old Testament, and they are just, they're confused by everything he's doing. He's more of a mystery than he is self-revelatory. We have this book that explains everything. And we go around, and, and the providence of God occurs all around us, and we are just as befuddled. Jesus is acting right there in front of them. Jesus is acting right here in front of us, and we're just as equally confused as they are. Who is this person, and what does it mean? Who is the shepherd of Israel? Who is the king of Israel? Given their self-interest, their man-made traditions, their nationalistic... Nas- Keith and I are having trouble this morning nationalistic, thank you, 
They're nationalistic expectations, right? They love, they love the temple. They love Congress more than they love the word of God. They love being rich and wealthy and well thought of. They love middle class respectability more than they love the gospel, more than they love the word of God. And so Jesus shows up and he makes it as clear as the nose on his face and they don't see it. And we're no different. And we're no different. And I said it several weeks ago that God, right, he want, he's very patient and compassionate. He wants you to learn. So he'll explain it over and over and over and over and over again. He's very, very, very good at teaching. And that's what we're going to see here is the same thing is going on. He wants you to understand who he is and what his ministry means for you. And, and he's willing to show you again and again and again and again. The thing is you have to, to look at him and listen to him and pray that he would give you understanding so that you would not, you would no longer wander around like sheep without a shepherd. I won't make you show hands, but how often do we feel like sheep without a shepherd? Wives? Husbands? Right? I've said it before. You sit there, everyone else is sleeping, head in hands. You're supposed to be the shepherd. How often do we feel that way? And what is God doing because of that? That's how we feel. That's how we walk around and we feel that way. What is he doing because we feel that way? That's what this is all about. Later on, in, in, in verse 52, if you, in, in chapter 6, you go, you see the conclusion to this whole story. Verse 52, it says, For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. The manna falls right out of heaven into their lap, and they eat it, and at this point, when, in verse 52, they've probably already digested it, and they still don't get it. You, you're going to leave here, and what happens? Before the bread is even digested in your stomach, they didn't understand about the bread. How often do we leave here and not really understand what we've just participated in? What's really going on? Do you remember how hard it was for the Exodus generation to remember who God was? Right? They go through the Red Sea. I, I mean, right? We all think, well, I mean, Mike, come on. <laughs> come on. If I went down to Lake Washington, I really needed to get to Seattle, and there was so much traffic, and I, get to, I got to just drive across Lake Washington on dry ground. I'd believe. We always think that, don't we? We always think that. But they prove... And Jesus proves the fact that miracles don't convert hearts. They never do. All they do is they show what kind of heart you've got. So the loaf falls out of the sky into these men's hands, and they don't believe it. Because it takes more than the loaf. It takes more than the miracle. We want to be wowed. Wow me, God. Come on, show me who you are. And every day he is. Non-stop. Right? Everyone, take a, take a deep breath. That's all you need. But that's, that's not enough for us, is it? It's not enough. And that's why we're here. Because we know it's not enough. What was Moses leading the Exodus generation into the wilderness to do? Who is Jesus saying he is in the first verse of this section? Exodus 15.22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. 
Exodus 33:14. God promised Moses in the wilderness, and he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Come with me into the wilderness, and I will give you rest. Jesus has the disciples come back, and what's he say to them? Come with me into the wilderness, and I will give you rest. Nobody stops to think, well, who is he making himself out to be? Because they don't recognize what he's doing. Because it doesn't fit with their expectations. Right? When we think when God shows up, he's going to do this, and he's going to do this, and he's going to say this, and I'm going to feel this way. But he comes saying the same things he's always said, and we don't recognize him. Because it doesn't fit with what we are expecting, what we are hoping, what we are wanting. It doesn't fit. They love Moses, right? They're down with Moses. They know if they'd have been part of the Exodus generation, they'd have been out there and they would have never doubted, ever. And Jesus says, come with me into the wilderness and let's rest. Okay, finally, geez, man. I've been preaching up and down this lake. You think they're going to have those drinks, Peter, with the little little umbrellas, some pineapple? But this rest that they're talking about, right? Right? Who gives them that rest? It's the successor of Moses who eventually gives the Exodus group the rest. And the rest that they're talking about is entering into the promised land. Right? So, who, again, who, who is he saying that he is? Paul makes this point in chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. It, For if Joshua had given them real rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Right? The rest... It was just a metaphor. Go into the promised land. And that was glorious. It's flowing, right, with milk and honey, cities they didn't build, wells they didn't dig. And, and God takes them there and drives out the other people. And this, this is glorious. And it's just a metaphor. What you're experiencing in your life when you go from having nothing to having everything, when you go from death to it's just a metaphor for what's really coming. There's something greater than the glory that you feel. Think of the last time you're sitting at your kitchen table and you thought, it does not get any better than this, baby. And I mean, seriously, you're like, God is good. I am not. He is good. This is great. I love this. That is just a metaphor. There is a greater glory, a greater rest, greater life, greater fullness. Jesus receives the disciples back from their mission, and as a sign of the power of that kingdom that they were, had gone out and faithfully preached, he parabolically leads them into the wilderness to rest. He says two times, verse 31 and 32, let's go out to a desolate place. Let's go out to a desolate place. Well, it's a wilderness. The fact that they translated it as desolate place goes to show you why translations are such a dicey thing. Because technically those words are correct. Typologically, that's not what they're saying. A desolate place, who says that? Right? I'm driving through eastern Washington. I never look out and be like, man, this place is a desolate place. It's a weird phrase. Who talks that way? I'd be like, man, this is a wilderness. I mean, that stretch, you know, from advantage to Afreda. You're like, oof. Now, there's this hostile crowd pursuing them, pursuing them just like there was a hostile crowd from Egypt pursuing them. And they're like, no, no, who, who, who do you think you are eating? I've got, I got things I need from you people. 
And what I love about this is that in verse 33, it says, Now many saw them going. Okay, So they're trying to get away to get some rest. And many people saw them going, not him, as it's always said up to this point. The disciples are somebodies now. They recognize this band of preachers, this band of miracle workers, this band of guys who can drive out demons, and everybody wants to go where they're going. And so they follow them. It's quite a statement about the disciples at this point, who they're associated with, and and now the crowd isn't just obsessed with Jesus and getting near him, they're obsessed with them and getting near them. How does Jesus respond to the selfish, demanding, needy mob? Right? You're like, hey guys, I'm your leader. Get in this boat. You deserve a break. Follow me. And you, and you, you know, you don't row because you're the leader. Everybody rows you across the lake. And you get out and there's this huge mob. You're like, hey, well, you know, we're closed on Mondays. So it's Monday. We've just been preaching and everything. So we're going to just take today off. He doesn't turn to them and explain anything to them. Like, hey boys, you know, I, I, they, you know, Martha was here. She chopped up the pineapple. We've been making margaritas all morning. He doesn't. He doesn't explain anything. He doesn't apologize for anything. He looks at the crowd, and what does it say? Verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. He's not angry. He's not hostile. He's not making excuses. He's not sending them away. He sees the crowd. He sees their need, and he immediately has compassion on them. This phrase, they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is a phrase that's used many times to refer to Israel. Many, 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 many times. Numbers 27, verses 15 through 17. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, and that congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. And again, Moses is saying, I'm about to die. Lift up a successor for me who can lead them because th- so that they will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Who is Jesus making himself out to be? Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 6. My people have been lost, sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their fold. This is how Isaiah actually describes all of humanity. Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is he talking about there? He's not talking about Israel. Israel is like a bunch of lost sheep. Humanity is like a bunch of lost sheep. Jesus comes, he sees these people, he sees their need, and what have they come out there with? They've probably come out with what? Crippled people? People with demons? And he sees them and he says what? They're like people who need to lay their iniquity on me. They're like lost sheep. They're they're a sheep that need a shepherd. And in in this reference, (laughs) the way that that shepherd leads them is dying for them to provide for all of their needs. No wonder Peter doesn't recognize him. Right? That is so far from any messianic promise that Peter understands or John understands. They're, they're hearing him and they're just like, oh man, 
He's doing the compassion thing again. <sighs> Where's the drinks with the umbrellas? Right? I mean, what does a guy got to do to just get a day off around here? It's, it's all he knows. It's all he can do. He doesn't know anything else. He doesn't do anything else. Now, one last mention of this. This is Mark, Jesus, these guys are clever. They're clever. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 17. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. This is said by a prophet to who? Ahab. Ahab, who has a wife named Jezebel. Okay, so here's Israel under the false kingship of who? <laughs> right? Herod, who's, got, who's married to Jezebel, and they're just like the, the tribes of Israel in the days of Ahab and his Jezebel. Mark, how did, I mean, it is hard to keep track of all these things. Under Herod Antipas, who married a Jezebel, like Ahab, who also married a Jezebel, God's flock wanders about as if they have no shepherd because they don't. Because they don't. Ezekiel 34.5, So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. 34.10, No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from, the, from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. And we just had a party where John's head is put on a platter and served. The people of God certainly are food for these wicked and, and terrible shepherds. And so Jesus sees them and he, says, he knows what's going on. He's heard the story about John. He sees all these people wandering around. He sent out his disciples. He understands what kind of men they are at this point. And all he does is have compassion on them. All of the leaders of Israel had been known as shepherds. In fact, some of them actually were shepherds. Moses, when he was on the lamb for manslaughter, that's a whole other story, he became a shepherd. Where was David when, when Samuel went to look for him? He was a shepherd. Right? There's, there's a connection there. All of the leaders of Israel were known as shepherds. But, but, but they were failures. Right? They were failures. They were wearing the wool for themselves. They were taking... All of, all of the flock that God had given them and using it to make themselves rich, to make themselves wealthy, to make themselves important. Jesus is coming, what's he find? Oh, well, you know, the scribes and teachers, they like the long robes, they like the good seats in the synagogue, they like to walk around the marketplace like they're somebodies. Same thing, if you read the Institutes of Christian Religion by John Calvin, there's a letter in there to King Francis and he refers to the Catholics as those pigs whose gods are their stomach. What do we got now? What do we got now? You, you know how much money you can, right? If I just got enough blog followers, somebody would invite me to Ligonier, and then I'd be in the real, I'd be in the show, right? It, it's like you hear pastors talk about it like they're going up, like they're going to be going to the Major League Baseball or something. Popularity preachers. Health and wealth preachers. This, this idea of like if you get a book deal and you write, write or die is something I've heard several pastors say. Write or die? What? Uh, uh, what? <laughs> what? 
No wonder Israel's in the state it's in. And, and, and Jesus, he gets all of this. He knows what God has promised. God has promised, as we had read for us today, God says, I'm going to come and shepherd them. Because the shepherds need me just as much as the sheep do. And it's true. If you have a shepherd who doesn't need the Jesus as much as the sheep do, get up and leave. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. Jesus is here on the shores of Gennesaret, and he knows who he is. He is the shepherd of Israel. And so he wants, he wants to show them desperately. And I've said it before, he, he's a living embodiment of the history of Israel. The types, the shadows, the promises, the expectations. He embodies them. Psalm 23.1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And Jesus knows, I have compassion on them because I am their shepherd they won't want. All of my followers want to send these people away. I don't want to send them away because I know that they have needs and I'm their shepherd because they do. That's why I'm a shepherd. I'm not a shepherd to get a book deal. I'm not a shepherd to get invited over to Herod's palace. I am here because they have needs that need fulfilling. Look at them. They're wandering around. Somebody's got to get this thing, this program in order here. So what does he do? Immediately, what does he do? Verse 34. This Bible has a lot smaller print than my other one. Sorry. I'm getting old. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. He immediately said, okay, look at you guys. You're wandering around. You're totally lost. Sit down. Sit down, everyone. And he begins teaching them many things. Psalm 23.3, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He sets them down and be, immediately begins teaching them because what does Psalm 23 3 say? He's living it out. And so, okay, I'm the shepherd because they have needs, so what do I need to do? Well, sit down, everyone, and I'm going to start teaching you many things. Psalm, oh, so what else is going on, though? So he sees them, he has compassion on them because they have needs, he sits them down, so he begins teaching them. News of John's death has already made the rounds. That was a wilderness movement too. Where are these guys in the wilderness? What happens to wilderness leader leaders? What happens to them? Well, they apparently are food for the false shepherds of Israel. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God promised to be the shepherd of Israel, and Jesus is revealing himself in very great detail to be that shepherd. John's dead now. Things have changed. He doesn't have much time left. He doesn't have much time. And so he's got to start enacting these things right away. And Psalm 23, how many, right? Psalm 23 Long before I was a Christian, I knew Psalm 23. You know why? Because in TV on funerals, it's always what they read. So, like, I don't know, hundreds of movies, I'd be sitting there and be like, oh, here's Psalm 23 again. And what? It's a nice poem. It's beautiful. I think we have it up on the wall in the kitchen. It's gorgeous. 
What does it mean to you? Is it that sweet little thing, right, that the kids pray before they go to sleep? We read at funerals. Right? Has anyone ever, right? Has anyone ever been at a funeral where they didn't read Psalm 23? I haven't been to that many. They read it, I think, at most of them. But Jesus, no, 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 this is, yeah, David wrote a poem, but he wasn't taught, he wasn't just being poetic. He sees this crowd, he sees their need, and he immediately begins to act, and his actions are, are laid out in Psalm 23 perfectly. Sit, and I will instruct you. In the shadow of death, all, I'm here, and I will protect you. I'm not going to send you away. I'm not going to let you wander around. And everything's going great. And then Jesus' followers step in, right? Verse 35 through 38. I'm going to actually read all of these all at once, and then we'll talk about them. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. Oh, really? Right? They were looking forward to a desolate place because they thought, you know, there were going to be little drinks with umbrellas. But now there's this huge crowd, and suddenly the desolate place is a problem. It's funny how that is. They go on. The hour is late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, or just eat dirt, I guess. I don't know. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. <laughs> and when they had found out, they said five and two fish. I love it. You know how annoyed I would, like, Jesus, we don't have enough food for these people. I don't, give them something to eat. We don't have enough food, Jesus. Are you sure? Count. Count the loaves. Are you sure? Okay, Jesus, all right. You go away, you count the loaves. Yep, no, not enough food. Not enough food. They felt compelled to call Jesus' attention to the lateness of the hour, the scarcity of provision, because the evening meal was close at hand. Jesus knows where they are. Jesus knows the hour. Jesus knows how many people are there. He doesn't know, just know how many people are there. He knows how many hairs each of them have. He knows who has a bologna sandwich and who doesn't. Right? It, I love how we are just like, we, we always think God is caught off guard. Jesus, I ran out of money and I got another week and a half till payday. And Jesus is like, oh, really? No, no. He's like, yeah. Yes, that is what happened. Uh, okay, well, I got a road trip, and, and I got like two miles out of town, and my car broke down. Oh, really? No, no. Yes, he says. Yes, that, I've been planning that for weeks. Months, even. But we always talk to him like that, right? Right? We got uh, 15 people coming over for dinner tomorrow, and we all have the flu. God, don't, um, didn't you check our calendar? Uh No. No, I didn't check your calendar because I've had this plan for a long time. And yes, I knew about the dinner. This is what always happens, and we are always just like them. Uh, Jesus, there's a lot of people here. Oh, really? I've been standing here talking to them for hours. I didn't realize there was a ton of them. And, and it, it gets lost in translation, but they are so irritated. Like, it, it's amazing how Greek is very different than English. Because you can read in the words how irritated they are. English, right, I can say things like, man, you're gorgeous. And everyone knows what I really mean, right? You're not. Greek isn't that way. Eng <laughs> right? English works in a very different way where almost what I say doesn't matter, how I say it matters. 
Greek, it's what you say that matters. So you look at these words, and, and the other disciples leave it out. But we know that Mark was a follower of Peter, and Peter is always like, no, 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 we were not that nice. We were not that obedient. We were not that polite. We thought Jesus was an idiot. And we thought that we had to tell him things we didn't think he knew. And then when he told us to feed them, we were a little annoyed. Right? They see this crowd, and all they see is a means to get rid of them. They see the need that they have, and Jesus says, okay, sit down in the grass and I will instruct you. They see the need they have, and they're like, oh, Jesus, we better send them away. We better send them away. And, and in one level, you're like, okay, yeah, he said, let's go and rest. Let's go rest. And now we're out here and we've got to feed 5,000 people? That's just the men, though. It's actually closer to fifteen to 20,000. Because Luke adds this nice little detail about the fact that there are, in fact, women and children, too. And back then, they didn't just walk around with two kids. So there are fifteen to 20,000 people sitting there. And they're like, no, 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 this is not rest. And Jesus is like, this is, I called you out here to do this because this is what I call rest. You guys did so great on your preaching tour. You did so great. And now feed this 5,000 men and their entire families. Do it. You're welcome. Another opportunity. Enjoy the rest. Uh, what? Huh? Right? Moms? You got a few kids there, and Jesus, and Jesus is like, hey, guess what? You're pregnant again. You're like, I thought I was going to get some rest. Well, you're doing so well, we thought we'd give you five, six, seven. Right? Uh, hubby, you... you you're so faithful with this family. You are so faithful. And God wants to, to lift you up now because your, your talents are squandered and so you're fired from your job. Okay, now you're leading them in a very different way, right? Now you're going to show the kids not just how to do it during prosperity. You're also going to show them because they've, got, they've had plenty of that lesson. Now what I'm going to do is give you the ability to show them what it looks like when things aren't going well. They went from town to town, and everyone provided everything they needed. They get out here in the wilderness, and Jesus is asking them to provide for all these people. No wonder they're a little persnickety. But this is what God does. He calls us further up, further in. Faithful and little, here's more. Right? What we want to hear is when we're faithful at all with little, we want them to be like, that was great, thank you. Now you can retire from the Christian life. And we're like, okay, cool. But that's never, all, think about those parables. All the people who do well, right? You do well with 20 bucks. Now I'm going to put you in charge of a city. And I'd be like, no, no, no. How about you just put me in charge of 10 bucks? Like we just, I did well here, so let's go smaller so I can do even better. He's like, no, 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 no. Now you're in charge of 10 cities. He's called us to this. This is what he's called us to. And, and, and we don't like it. We don't recognize it for what it is. And we are just as befuddled as they were. What do you mean this is what you're doing? Verse 39 here, there is an excellent detail. And this is a first, you can tell that somebody was there. Because why would they add this detail? When you're taking witness information, Right, and they're telling you details. It's like I don't care what color the pot machine was, but it's like people remember these kinds of things. It's really strange what witnesses remember. And what I love about this is because the person who's really writing this wants to use that detail. 
I'm wondering if Peter had any idea. Mark probably didn't have any idea, but 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 Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, understood exactly why this detail was important. Verse 39, Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Green grass? Seems odd. Psalm 23, 1 through 2. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Who is he saying that he is? He sits him down in 50s and 100s. That's Exodus 18.21. Because when Moses was leading them, he had them sit down. He, he had them broken down into groups into, into 50s and 100s. So who is Jesus comparing himself to? Verse 40. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided them, the two fish, among them all. And they ate and they were satisfied. Sorry, I read further. They ate and they were satisfied. And then what happens? <laughs> and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces. Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The bread basket overflows. Now, you know what detail they left out. They remember the green grass because that's important. What they leave out is exactly how this worked. He breaks the bread, and then what happens? Does it multiply in his hands as he gives it to them? He gives it to them, and it multiplies in their hands? The crowd has no idea what's going on. The only people who know what's going on are the disciples and Jesus, and they don't tell us how this worked. And there are so many stupid explanations, right? From dumb ideas like he has a cave nearby, and he just keeps running and grabbing loaves of bread, like he planned this while they were gone, right? That commentator, I was like, this guy doesn't even believe in any of this. <laughs> right? Just all that does that doesn't help me that that just actually I'm not gonna buy your books anymore. We don't know. And it's not for the crowds. He doesn't want them to know yet. He wants the disciples to know. And later, what does it say? They didn't get the loaves. Whatever was going on with the loaves, they saw it and they knew and they comprehended it. And this isn't just manna falling down out of the sky. The guy's hands pour forth manna. Who is this? Who is this? And they don't care because they're just annoyed because there's all these people who, who won't even allow them to sit down and eat. He's like, no, I got you covered because there's 12 baskets full. And so for the next week, all 12 of you are carrying around all the extras so that you can feed yourselves. Because the basket, I don't know, I've always imagined like a basket like Santa Claus, literally like his bag that he carries. I've always imagined when they take the baskets, it's like baskets like like the size of a room. I don't ever understood why I thought that. I saw a picture of the basket, it looks more like a man purse, right? It's just this basket you hold open, smaller than the thing I hold the kids' treats in. So they take all these leftovers and you close this, everyone had these baskets. And you carry it around, and that's when you have your money in there, and you have your food in there, and you have your water bag in there. And, and so they fill 12 of them. Well, how many disciples are there? There's 12. Yeah, you're worried about how I'm going to feed them? 
I can feed them, I can feed you, and I can feed you out of this miracle for a whole, several days. And they're like, you know, I just, I don't get who this guy thinks he is. They're just annoyed. They're hard-hearted. They don't get what is going on. Now, in the desert, for the Exodus generation, the manna came, and they were only allowed to get enough for one day, and if, it, and if they didn't, right, they were punished. He gives them enough to be full and gives them leftovers. This is greater than the manna story. It's greater than the manna story. In a local town, there's only 2,000 people. This is 20,000 people on a lakeshore, still waters, in the green grass, being fed by the shepherd. Now, every week, every week, Jesus says, come. Come with me into the wilderness. We're surrounded by enemies. I know you're full of fear. I know that you're full of doubt. But come into this wilderness with me. Sit, and I will teach you many things. And I will give you bread from heaven. And I will strengthen you. And there will be 12 baskets full. Because like I've said before, we try to get too much out of this service, but there is enough, enough in this service to last us a week. There's enough to ponder here. So much was flying by you with the songs, with the readings, with the prayers, with the sermon. There are 12 baskets full when we leave here. And so why is it that we're so hungry come Wednesday? Why is it that we've forgotten so quickly? Do you find yourself in your life on green pastures by still waters full? It's as important for you to understand that the shepherd in that instance is Jesus. He's led you there. He's filled you. He's provided for everything you need. Now, are you walking in the valley of the shadow of death? Are you surrounded by fear and uncertainty and anxiety, brokenness? At that moment, you need to remember who the shepherd is and that he knows what hour it is. He knows how many people there are. He knows the circumstances. He doesn't lead you into these kinds of things unless he's going to reveal himself. He, he brings everybody out here because what he wants them to see is that he is the good shepherd. Don't, don't ever sit there in your life wondering, what is going on here? Doesn't that guy have a clue? Doesn't he have any understanding of who I am, what's going on? He does. And he's done it to show you who the great shepherd is. Learn this lesson that... Right? And we're going to get up, and before we've even digested the bread, we're going, to, we're going to be tempted to walk away and forget. He wants you every week to understand he is the good shepherd. He teaches you the way of righteousness. He meets with you and feeds you and has compassion on you and understands you, and he gives you enough to get through this week to the next time he sees you in this place. Learn that. Jesus is the great shepherd. The shepherds of Israel at this moment are as bad as they've always been. They're in as much need as anybody else. It's, the, the reformers understood ad fontes, they said, back to the sources. And they meant the Greek and the Hebrew because they wanted to get back to the Bible. And I'm with them, but we need to go, right? We need to even understand it more than that. 
The blessed man is like, he's like a tree planted by streams of living water in the green grass. We've got to go back, go beyond the shepherds that you have here in Congress and in the White House and standing up in front of you at the moment. We need to go back to the source because the world is in a bad way, because the church is in a bad way, because the shepherds are in a bad way. And what we all need is to get back to the shepherd, the only shepherd, the one who's leading you. He's either already led you at this particular time to green pastures and still waters, or he's meeting you in the valley of the shadow of death to lead you there. Do not forget who God is. Do not forget who Jesus is. Do not forget what he has done for you and what he will do for you. No matter what you see outside your window, no matter what you feel inside your heart, the shepherd is Jesus. He is here. There is more than enough of him to go around, not only for today, but for the next seven days. Amen. Father God, we thank you for this feast, this glorious feast. We thank you for giving us a shepherd who is compassionate, who is all-knowing and all-seeing, who is just like us, who came in the flesh, experienced everything that we experience. He knows exactly what we are struggling with. He knows exactly why we're struggling with it. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us to understand that he always meets us where we are, not where we should have been. He is here for us today. He is leading us. He is filling us. He is teaching us. And Lord God, we pray that we would remember this whole week as we go from here. I pray, Lord, that we would all remember our great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And amen.